And I'm excited to be here today. And as Jim has implied, these uh, this is a it's wonderful to be together as a church, but it's incredibly different not having you in the room. So I'll be preaching to to a small audience here of, of technicians and Pastor Bill and, and Jim. And uh, so thank you. I want to thank them for their time as well, helping me get prepared to to deliver this message to you live on Facebook. So um, I uh, I want to open with some prayer myself, actually. So let's go to the Lord. God, I just thank you that I am able to be here today and uh, share your word with the congregation. I pray that we will just be able to approach Scripture in a new way uh, with uh, just excitement and anticipation as not a not a commonplace book, but something that is profound and powerful and will speak to us many, many years after it was written. It still is powerful. And so help this message of appreciating the name that is Emmanuel just resonate in our hearts and minds in a new way. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So um, as I was preparing for my, my sermon, uh, there has been quite a bit going on in my life uh, recently. Uh, in my family, actually, to require me to really press in and lay hold of the thought that, and, and truth that God is with us because I need him now. Um, on Monday of last week, I was informed that my mother had discovered a mass in her heart. She had to t- They had found a tumor on Monday and were most likely going to, re- it was going to require surgery in the near future. Well, come Tuesday afternoon... I was informed she will be getting, she was going to be getting heart surgery on Wednesday. And so thank you, thank you for all of those who, who were aware, just for your concerns, for your prayers. I really appreciated all that you um, did for my family through that. She came through the surgery successful, but I would be lying if I wasn't just a little distracted during the week as I was preparing for my sermon. And I want to thank Pastor Bill for being such a great shepherd and, and taking time. To, to reach out to me and just thank thank him for really letting me feel um, just loved and attended to. He has an incredibly diverse and large flock that he has to take care of, but he reached out to me and said, Pastor, are you okay? Will you be ready to preach on Sunday? And I said, frankly, I think I need this distraction. I can't think of a better time to be in God's word, and especially be surrounding my thoughts with the fact that Emmanuel is, God is with us, that God is with my mother and my family during this time, and so it was a, it was definitely an interesting, it's been an interesting Christmas for my family, but it's also been a time of blessing to see the miracle of her coming through surgery. So thank you all for just the concerns and prayers, it's meant a lot to me. And so, um, I want to talk a little about the importance of just the power of words, the power of a name. And, you know, I, I love good I love good wordplay. I love a good pun. I mean, because as, a, as I'm a father, my affinity for them and my, my delivery of them is growing. It's a superpower that all of us fathers get. And so, uh, you know, a good turn of a phrase, a poem. Uh, one of my favorite little, like, poems is, uh, "'Twas in a restaurant.'" Whence they met, impassioned Romeo, fair maiden Juliet. Alas, he had no cash to pay the debt, so Romeo owed whilst Juliet. Uh, 
I know, I know. It's a little bit of a dad joke. It's one of my favorite poems. I love a good wordplay. Uh, I can't resist a good pun. Uh, you know, occasionally, uh, if one of my friends is like, well, you know, you can't, you can't really be a vegetarian and wear leather. And I said, are you sure your opinion couldn't be swayed? Ah, <laughs> oh, boo. Hey, hey, stop being such grown-ups. Ah, uh, get it? Yeah, like the sound you just made when you finally got the suede. Yeah, G-R-O-A-N. Look, you can do whatever you want. Don your cloaks of superiority and try to disguise your enjoyment of puns and jokes, but disguise is going to help you out. Yes. It might be tucked in. I'll move my wire. Totally loose. All right. I hope I can be that. I hope I'm totally kind of loose while I'm up here, too, and don't come off as too rigid. All right. But jokes are great, and they work on a different level, so don't look down on them. And uh, words are incredible. I love semantics. I love the ability to articulate thoughts and feelings in ways that are unique and bring synonyms that birth life and color into uh, the discussion. And so that is why I think it's very important and very serious to focus our attention on God's Word in a manner that is not cavalier, but important in that I, we take it seriously. Sometimes the Word of God, I think Scripture, we, we, we fail to see the enormity of Scripture. Uh, we, we take the Word of God as commonplace in our lives, and we, we really lose the significance of the fact that God has a purpose and a great end in it. So, God, we have to really think about this. When we read the Bible, we are reading God's Word, the omnipotent, infinite, eternal, everlasting, uh, omnipresent, immutable creator of all that is seen and unseen, all the laws and all of the structure and elements of creation that we are aware of, made by God, designed by Him, time itself, the innumerable stars having been flung into space are just laying, you know, are, are, are there for our wonderment. And we have to think, that God, that creator, laid aside his great glory, humbled himself, and came to the earth as a newborn babe. And so, he came to live a life of humiliation. God came to be with us, to be rejected, to suffer to experience pain, and finally be condemned to the cruelest of methods possible, imagined by the minds of evil men, so that fallen humanity could be brought back into relationship with him. That one day, we would be able to see face-to-face -face God, Emmanuel, God with us. So, I want us, and I strive, I want to strive myself, to cast aside familiarity with Scripture that's kind of deadened our minds. We've become a bit numb in our perception of who God is, and we, we need to take time to really gaze at His Word. We really need to try to find, pray for renewed freshness and, and a heightened wonderment of the reality that God Himself came to be with us, Emmanuel. So let's, let's try to rid ourselves of this commonplace apathy 
uh, towards God's word and really view the reality that Christ, the Lord of heaven, undressed himself of his majesty, of his heavenly glory, and covered himself with the mantle of humanity and became Emmanuel. He became God with us so that we could shed our filthy rags and be adorned in Christ's robe, being made sons of the Most High, joint heirs with Christ, our Emmanuel. He is with us. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, 20, uh, verses 22 and 23, but I want to talk a little bit about the context because in my opinion, the best way to capture and appreciate the meaning of Scripture is that is to understand that everyone has different kind of rose-colored glasses that they view their the story through. They have a particular hue of how they view what is happening. So stick with me on this. For Matthew, as he's watching the story, the life of Christ unfold, he's seeing it as a Jewish tax collector. He's seeing it as a man of the Jewish faith, and he is seeing it as one of the 12 disciples, eventually as he became called. And the gospel, his gospel, Matthew's gospel, has a strong literary tradition that I believe is very profound and very, it's paramount in understanding the influence of his narrative. And that is that when he wrote his gospel, he's predominantly writing to an audience that is Jewish, the ethnically Jewish. So his readership, they are going to be very familiar with the customs and traditions of the Jewish faith. So he really doesn't do a lot of explanation about different um, rituals and and, uh, ceremonies. The other thing is on the Sermon on the Mount scripture, he compares, he contrasts Jesus to Moses and in other places, actually in Matthew chapter 1, he, he goes through a lineage of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Father Abraham, 14 generations. And so you get the idea and you get to see, you get to see the strong emphasis on Christ this being showcased as the Messiah to the Jew whom they were waiting for. Matthew is trying to make connections here. So I, as you read the, the, the gospel, it is not a rejection of Judaism. He's not rejecting the Jews. Instead, he sought to apply corrective lenses to the Jewish leaders. Matthew, the tax collector, is basically publishing a full-color audit of the Jews making a calculated culmination of Christological corollaries, criticizing the Jews. I had so much fun writing that phrase, by the way. He is a tax collector. What does he do? He crunches numbers. He he meticulizes and, and, and scrutinizes. And so I love the fact that he is culminating this, this Christological list of corollaries, criticizing the Jewish, Jewish leaders. And maybe criticizing is a bit hard, but what he's trying to say is, your focus is out of, your your interpretation of God's word is out of focus. And I'm not going to go into this, but I'll give you some little homework. Just turn to Matthew, not, go to Matthew 20, chapter 21, verses 33 through um, 46, and cross-reference it to Isaiah 5. That's Matthew 20, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. And it talks about 
how the new the new leaders of, of the church are the disciples are the it's the new the new church so Matthew before we get into his these two passages I just want you to understand that Matthew is basically saying to the to the Jews of the day you've been weighed you've been measured and you've been found wanting and I I want and long and desire to show you how you need to why you need to understand Christ as the Messiah and so he doesn't just rifle through seven years of you know historical cultural receipts like a good tax collector auditing someone he goes back 14 generations and he basically walks them through generation after generation corollary after corollary making connection after connection up to present day this is the Christ this is the Messiah this is the long-awaited arrival of Emmanuel God is with us and I want you to see that so Matthew chapter 1 22 through 23 let's let's uh, read this together I'll give you a moment to turn there Matthew chapter 1 22 through 23 says she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. This is something else that I thought was important. He's going to give me that microphone. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. All right. So, for the entire New Testament, the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Revelation, we have a God. We have the God of the universe, all that is seen and doesn't seen, the divine creator being. He is practically yelling. He's practically pleading. He's beckoning. He is speaking loud and proud to his people. And then silence falls. Silence. There is... There is a long period of silence between the Old and New Testament. Now, depending on what scholars you follow, it differs. But how long do you think the silence between Malachi and the New Testament may have been? I just want to give you a moment to think about that. <laughs> Thanks. It, 400 years. That's that, the, the general take is that 400 years is the approximate date of time that has transpired between the last prophet, Malachi, to the New Testament. I'm not good with time in perspective. I am the guy, I'm the worst offender when it comes to saying, oh, yeah, you know, oh, I was out, I saw this really thing, I saw this thing yesterday. And someone will be like, Nathan, that was like three days ago. I'll be like, you, you get the idea. Or... Um, I I feel so bad for my wife. We'll be out at parties. Be like, yeah, you know, we we yeah we loved that that place. We went there about a year ago. She was like, that was our third anniversary, twelve, you know, ten, <laughs> five years ago, whatever. Or yeah, it's, it's, it, she she helps me. So and even then, I just messed up the time time frame. But time is hard. Time is perspective. So if you're not aware, America is only as of July fourth, twenty twenty. If I've got my math correct. It's only 244 years old. America is only 244 years old. The inventor of the car 
which is espoused to be Carl Benz, patented his first Benz patent motor wagon 133 years ago in uh, 1886. So the invention of the car in America, and um, this one's great. I have to share this just because of the times. Uh, I guess Joseph Getty, Getty is the man who invented the first commercially sold toilet paper roll over 160 years ago. I So 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and now we as Americans sitting here living in, in a... In a basically an entirely invented form of governance, uh, uh, which is America, driving vehicles that, you know, completely revolutionized travel while, and then having, you know, the, all these toilet paper battles because of, you know, COVID and whatnot. Things that are seemingly unimaginable to never have existed. Like the thought that there weren't ever cars or there's never been America is just, I can't. I just can't go there. And so think about 400 years. By comparison, roughly half as long a time as the Israelites, Israelites were waiting for God to speak, we invented a whole new nation and motorized vehicles and said, you know, selling toilet paper, all of which it, it's just... So the Israelites had experienced a long period of silence, silent night for them. And it all began in the beginning. God created... He was the center of the story. He was and is the purpose. He is the focus, the purpose, and meaning. And that is what is to be magnified, God. We fell away from him. We, uh, we were um, separated from him because of our sin. The shalom of God was broken. Our peace with him, the Jewish word for, for uh, shalom, the Jewish word for peace, was broken. Our relationship, our identity uh, was, was severed from the creator but not without hope because God being a creative and judge and a God of judgment also made a way to keep the promise. So he promised to one day send his son, our savior to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. So then the world after, after Genesis to Malachi, God speaking and pleading and loudly and boldly proclaiming goes silent. Imagine what that was like. 400 of silence. It'd be like me saying, hi, I'm Pastor Nathan. I'm the youth minister here at Emmanuel Baptist. Baptist. And if you come to our youth ministry, you're going to experience some fun, some fellowship, and just have a really great time. Oh, when? When do you ask? You know, I'll let you know when the timer goes off. I don't even know how long that was, but I was dying inside because we don't like silence. We don't like, we, we at all costs avoid silence. We distract ourselves from the void of it. Why is the first place you go to your phone when you get home? Because we don't like silence. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 11 says, He has, also, he has uh, also set eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. When we're alone in silence, when we're experiencing those silent nights, we're left with the thought and the knowledge that perhaps we have to answer to someone. 
for what is in our head and what is in our hearts and what we have done with our hands. So silence. We sing about this, um, you know, the silent night, that holy night. But before that, the Israelites had experienced the silence of God's word. So sometimes we silence with non-movement. It's, it's, you know, sometimes, but perhaps, perhaps the reason God is not speaking is because he has already spoken. The ultimate mic drop, it is finished. I have spoken. We in our sin natures, we want a different revelation. We want one that, you know, we don't want the one that we've already heard. You know, you, you shouldn't respond to perceived silence from God with, why aren't you speaking to me, God? Where are you? You should say, rather, God, do I believe what you've said? Do I believe what you've already revealed to me? I mean, the prophet Amos foretold of the silence, maybe not being aware at the time of the length, but he said the days are coming in, in Amos chapter 8 and 11, uh, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of God. This one really tore at my heart because I, I could, I, I just feel it. In Psalms 74, 9 says, we are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. None of us knows how long this will be. How long, O oh Lord? I, uh, just that one, I can feel the emotion and uh, and the, just the the doubt, the worry, just but the psalmist crying out, "How long, O oh Lord?" So, God created, man got separated. He promised, and then four hundred years of silence falls. Four hundred years of silence. Imagine the worry. Imagine the doubt. Imagine the dare I say even rebellion that might have taken hold. And you know why? Why wait? Why, why, why did God take his time? And so I, I want to give a little more context, and I think this is important to see that God works all things out for his good will. And that's all things. And so in the, in the time of Christ, the spread of the Greek language had become so common that it was considered the trade language. Everyone, for the most part, spoke the Greek language. So it was a common colloquial kind of tongue among nations. You have your first language, but you definitely, you know, speaking Greek was, was common. The Hebrew scriptures had been translated into Greek the Greek language. So now if you weren't an ethnic Jew or someone who knew the, 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 how to speak Hebrew, you were able to read the Old Testament. Fantastic work called the Septuagint, the translation, the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Jewish synagogue system and temple and post-exilic community kind of widespread. Uh, and the Roman government or empire at the time had uh, Pax Romana and a Roman road. Pax Romana basically just means uh, if you were a Roman citizen, you were afforded certain rights, you were protected. There was no war in the region. I think that's true, but it probably just was that case because they had their thumb down on everyone so so well. But um, And the extensive road system. So all of this took place while God was perceived to be silent. 
all of these great things, the spreading, the, the commonality of a Greek language, the translation of the Testament into Greek, the Jewish, you know, dis, the dispersion of, Greek, of Jews, the Roman Empire, um, the Roman road. So these five seemingly unrelated historical events combined into the perfect accelerator for the gospel. And I just think that that's beautiful. <clears throat> so the perfect cultural setup the perfect cultural setup for God to make the loudest proclamation he's ever made. So don't avoid it. Like, enter into it. Lean into God. Remember, God is at the center of our lives and should be at the center of our lives. And if he's not, don't ask, where's God? Where are you, God? Ask, where am I? Why? Where am I? Don't ask, where is God? Ask, where am I? The shepherd came to Christ. The wise men came to Christ. Doubt and struggle, they're all, it's okay. God uses doubt. He can use struggles to help us grow closer to him. So let us press into him. Let us lean in. When someone talks softer, when when we hear somebody, we lean in. Let's lean into God and ask, where where is God? And, And when we hear him say what he has said, let's listen. So, on that holy night, that silent of nights, when all was calm and all was bright, God broke the silence in the most profound, loudest, beautiful way. Christ the Savior is born. And so Matthew, turning to it again, Matthew chapter 1, 22 through 23. For she shall give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, why? Why the biblical emphasis on calling the name Jesus, calling on the name of Jesus? Why do we say in Jesus' name? Why do we, why do we call him Emmanuel? I mean. Is there power in the name Emmanuel? Why why do we see such an emphasis being placed upon Jesus, Emmanuel? Well, I want to I want to zero in on that. What's, what's in a name? The Old Testament makes a lot of names, and you have to kind of again, like I said, try to approach Scripture with the with the freshness and 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 not let it be too commonplace because we we tend to just go oh yeah so and so changed their name their name got changed their name got changed but you have to realize that the there was a clear narrative connection made between a person's God-given name and the importance of what they would become or had become and so um, I see this in Genesis chapter seventeen five it says no longer shall you be called Abraham uh, Abram, but you shall now be called Abraham, for I made you the father of multitude of nations. It goes on <clears throat> to say, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but uh, Sarai, but Sarah, for she has, uh, for that shall be her name. I will bless her, <clears throat> and moreover, I will give, uh, will give you a son by her. And this narrative continues. It goes on into Jacob. Jacob, you shall now shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and man and prevailed. Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight. So, <clears throat> names. 
the, the ascribing of names, the giving of a name, the presentation is very, very, very important, very powerful. And um, I don't see a more profound or important case or example of a power given, of a, the powerful giving of a name than I do in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, 13 through 14, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you, they may ask, What is your name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Remember his essence, God, the creator of all, his power. When you say my name, remember my essence. I absolutely am. That's why I gave you that name. The name with meaning, a name when I when God said I am, he was saying I have no beginning. I have no end. I have no I have no becoming. I, I have no changing. I absolutely am. I am true. I am reliable. And every time you say Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps usually in your Bible, or Yahweh, which is a name built upon the phrase I am, remember that. Remember I am. And I am with you when I say that I am Emmanuel. So second when the son, uh, second kind of point I want to make is when the Son of God came into the world as the very presence of God's self, he was given the name Jesus. You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. He's, he's more, but not less. We should call him, you know, they shall call him Emmanuel, which means Christ, uh, God with us. We shall call him Christ because he's the Son of the living Most High. God. Matthew sixteen sixteen. you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living high. So, Emmanuel, Emmanuel refers to Christ's essence, the definition, the defining reality of the personhood of Christ as God with us. You know, you see it again and again where the name and the person of Christ are interchangeable. And so, I mean, just names. Try to imagine a world without names imagine if i couldn't refer to you by any means no number you aren't like a serial number you're just no call signs there's no there's no designation a world without names there would be no personal connection no designation we would miss so much um it, it how endearing hey buddy you know you you at the face it's it's awful it's, i don't even like saying it um, we would never get to personally connect with someone. So a name, a giving, a giving of a name, it's important. Otherwise, life becomes this meaningless thing of guess who and categories where you're sort of like the tall one, you know, with the glasses, the jacket. Well, and you're like, by the time you got around to actually Figuring out who we're discussing, you'd have wasted so much time. So names mean something. When you say Christ, when you say Jesus is the Christ, that he is our Emmanuel, you are speaking to power and fame 
that is incredible and wonderful. And so um, whenever we talk about the name of Christ goes hand in hand with the fame of Christ. The name of Christ goes hand in hand with the fame of Christ. All relationships collapse without the power importance of name and grasping hold of what they mean. So from the dawn of time, God sent out, he named Adam and then bestowed the honor upon him. said, Adam, go name things. Name the animals, name your wife, name all things. And God, all God-given names correspond to something important about that person's essence, both then or in the future. So, referring to Christ as, referring to Jesus as the Christ, as Yahweh, referring to him as the Messiah, it's our intentional way of drawing our awareness to the sense of his power and fame through what that means. Emmanuel, it's our way of praising the importance of Christ. This Christ, this Messiah foretold is Emmanuel. He is with us. He's not a person to be dealt with privately. This is a name that is not to be hidden or an essence that is to be closed up in our hearts or put into a closet. This is a public, globally acknowledgeable person that needs to be acknowledged and praised. His identity needs to be known. People need to praise and sing about Emmanuel, God with us. The emphasis on this name is is... It's just so important. So I want to I want to close with this by saying that Romans chapter one verse five and chapter nine and seventeen and fifteen and nine chapter fifteen and verse nine and ten chapter ten and thirteen do a great job running through the power and importance of names. Says when we and Chapter 1, 5, it says, We receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of, the fa- of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Publicly, you know, prov- publicly profess the power of that name. Romans nine seventeen, That my name might be proclaimed in all the nations. Chapter 15. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The power and importance of Christ's name and, and the fame. Oh, it's just, it's important. It's, it's paramount. So one way we can think about this, my closing thought to you, is one way to think about it is that Emmanuel's name goes hand in hand with the fame, with Emmanuel's fame. I think that might be the shortened version of remembering what I'm trying to say. The name of Jesus goes hand in hand with the fame of Jesus. A name is a way of communicating with and communicating about to all the world whom we wish to talk about. Yahweh exists to be known. He exists to be addressed, to be praised over all the earth. The word Emmanuel, God with us, calls attention to the fact that he needs to be publicly proclaimed to all the world. God with us. Can I pray for us? All right. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just giving me this word. There couldn't be a better time or a better season in my life personally 
to know that you are with me, but you are with us. It is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So for all of us, as we are going through the season, help us to not forget the reason. Christ, the Savior, is born on that silent night when you proclaimed your loudest message ever to us of your love and of hope by saying, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so I thank you and praise you for all that you've done. And just thank you for the blessing of knowing that you are with us going into this next year. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me today and and listening to God's word. I hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful, happy new year, and we'll see you next year.